So today, we're going to continue in our series in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and op open up to James chapter 2, uh, verse 14. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. I want to you know, open up in a word of prayer. But we're going to be talking about faith and deeds. Uh, faith and deeds in, in, the, in the text that we're looking at in this series we're in in the book of James. But if you could do me a favor, let's just bow our heads and let's pray. And let's quiet ourselves before the Lord and have him speak. And so, Lord God, we come before you. And Father, we recognize that how much we need you. We're desperate for you. We long for you. Uh, you're incredible. You're powerful and strong. And God, thank you so much for your word, your scripture. Well, God, there's times when we read it, and it, it's like you speak to us. And we love that. We have this connection with you. And so God, as we talk about what James wrote uh, for those churches in that area, in that region, Lord, as you were communicating through the Holy Spirit, through him for them, Lord, as we read it in this year of 2021, Lord, it's so applicable. Would you cause it to come alive to us? Would you communicate to us as we read and we dive into your word and what you have for us as a church? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's take a look. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So I want to tell you a little story before I, you know, we break down these verses and stuff. So when I was younger, um, my dad and my oldest brother they were installing the, the attic stairs. You know, here in Florida, we don't have basements, you know, and sometimes we utilize our attics. So we have those, you know, it's the, the thing with the rope, and, and, and it's got the, the, the panel that, that comes down, and then the ladder, like, like unfolds. Sometimes it's in your garage or in your house or whatever. So my dad and, and my older brother, they were installing this, this unit into, that, into the rectangle so we could store some stuff in the attic. And so, you know, you, you pull on it. And, and the thing that's interesting is <laughs> installing those is actually really dangerous. Uh, so it's the, you have the frame that it is, uh, you, you have the stairs that unfold, but the whole thing is spring-loaded. So if you've ever, like, pulled a metal spring, you know that it's got some snapback. And so my dad and my older brother, they, had, they started having some issues, and the whole thing ended up closing on my brother. And you have to forgive me for laughing a little bit. Uh, it was terrifying for him, uh, but hilarious for us, so he didn't get hurt. So now I can laugh about it, and it's okay. Uh, he didn't get hurt, but he was stuck, and, and it basically swallowed him and, like, chomped him down. And, he, and like, I remember, like, he's like, get this off of me. And my dad said, I don't know what to pull first. And so my brother screams out, well, do something. Do something while this attic stairway eats me alive and chomps down on me. And so the thing I want to share with you, my first point for this message, is do something. When we read James chapter 2, 14 and following, James is saying do something. And so for us as Grace Church, we are a do something church. You know, for us, we have adopted two schools in our community, and we do just about all that we can. And any time they ask, we try and accomplish it. Uh, we're, we're partnered with multiple 501c3s and ministries in the area that are Christ-focused and Bible-centered. 
like Love, Inc. and FCA, we're a part of the, of the ARC, ARC, Association of Related Churches, to plant other life-giving churches in communities across the world. We, we support medical missions. We support missionaries in the Middle East. We're part of the Jesus Film in Southeast Asia. We have serve days as a church in our community. We have our connection groups that are doing things in the community. And so we are a do-something church. And so if, if you are doing something for Christ, there probably is some aspect of you or in your life, or really it's all of us, we have some level of faith, don't we? We have faith in our, maybe you have faith in God, sometimes we put faith in people, sometimes we have faith in ourselves, like we believe that we can do something, accomplish something, or, or we put faith in things. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, it says, now faith is confidence in what we see, or when what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. So things that we hope for, but yet we don't see. And so faith is really a belief, isn't it? We get it. We understand. Like, I believe. It's a, it's a sense of knowing. We don't see results yet, but we just, we hope. We assume. We, we, we want something. And so in Scripture, Jesus even communicated that we are to have faith that's as small as a mustard seed. You know, and I don't know about you, but I, I like mustard. It tastes good. But must, a mustard seed is so itty-bitty. Uh, it's tiny, and they grind it up to, to make the mustard. So Jesus is saying, you just need a little bit of faith, as small as a mustard seed. And if you have that much, you can move a mountain. You can say to this mountain, be lifted up and, and be thrown out. So do you have enough faith to move a mountain? And so James is saying, hey, it's awesome to have faith. That's incredible. But you also need to have action that comes as a result. And so when I think about faith to move mountains, I, I, I recognize God and who he is as our creator. God made the mountain. And that's amazing. And, and let me tell you something. God can move the mountain if he wants to. But sometimes I believe that God wants us to participate. Let, 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 me, let me share share what I mean by that. So, if we pray to, for God to move the mountain, He can, and sometimes He does. Some of you have had mountain moving type miracles in your life, and that's part of your story, and that's amazing. But I think sometimes God says, "Hey, what if we're gonna move that mountain one rock at a time?" So. What if we took a little bit of a different perspective? Now, please understand, I am not diminishing God's miraculous power whatsoever. He can lift up that mountain and throw that sucker to Mars if he wants to. But sometimes I think he's like, hey, we're going to do this together, one rock at a time. And so maybe in your life, the mountain that you're facing right now isn't made of dirt and rocks. Maybe the mountain is a, a challenge that you're faced with in your life. It's, a, it's an issue uh, maybe a person. I don't know what type of mountains you're facing right now, but I want to encourage you to have enough faith to do something to see it through, to, to, to see that God wants to work through you to do something incredible. So I would just say very clearly, do something. Do something. Don't just stand there and look at the mountain and pout and cry. Literally begin picking up rocks and moving them and I believe that that might be what God has for us sometimes. And so and when you understand the text in the chapter and James and who he is 
as a, as a pastor, as an apostle, James is a little bit spicy. I don't know if you've picked that up in these last few weeks, but James is spicy. And so now, homeboy's getting fired up, so I hope that you're ready. So continuing in this passage, James 2, continuing in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So now he's starting to challenge the, the churches of that time, and I would say us as well. That he's challenging us and saying, hey, that's great that you have faith, but there's lack of evidence as a result of your faith. I don't see what you believe. Basically, the modern cliche that you and I would say is, all talk, no action. That's what James is saying. And so this is super challenging because you have to recognize the context in which James is writing. James wasn't writing to the American church in 2021. James was writing to the first century church that was experiencing extreme persecution, arrests, imprisonment, torture, martyrdom. That's who James is writing to. All of the churches have been dispersed amongst that region because of the extreme persecution that the Roman Empire had brought on them in the first century. And so what James is saying is, you need to have faith, that's great, but there also needs to be deeds and action along with your faith, regardless of the consequence. And they're going, but what happens if I get arrested or I, kill, I get killed or I, I, I get tortured? And James is saying, yep, you might. And so now he's laying it before you and I. Now there is persecution in the American church, no doubt. Uh, but you and I don't face that same type of extreme persecution. So I would say you and I need to have maybe more deeds as a result of our faith and action that comes um, regardless of the cost. Because there is a cost. There is a cost in following Christ where we lay ourselves down, we lay our life down, resources, people, friends, relationships. Our lives should get turned upside down because we deny everything, take up our cross, and follow him. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is I loved how he would say to the disciples, follow me. Like, I just, I loved that. He, he would invite them in, you know, whether they were fishermen or tax collectors or carpenters or woodworkers. Well, it didn't matter what they did. They, he, but he would, he would come to them and he'd say, hey, it's awesome what you're doing, but I want you to come and follow me. Leave your way of life and turn and come follow me. And then as you, as you read some of the stories of the disciples, you, Peter's a great example where over the course of the ministry, you know, Peter would go, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, wherever it is that you go. I don't have anything else. There's nothing else for me. I'll follow you even if it requires my life. And so I would say, you know, if we take this passage of Scripture and we apply it in our life, it's one thing to have faith and believe in God, but it's a whole nother level for our faith to be accompanied by action in our life. And if you thought that was tough, <laughs> James is getting ready to use some even stronger language to communicate that our faith is actually revealed by our life. And forgive James up front, but he's going to call you stupid. Uh, so James chapter 2, starting in verse 20. You foolish person. So I, I said it nice. Uh, 
he's not being nice. Okay? You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see what a person, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And so it's interesting to me how James brings in Rahab the prostitute. Right? So, so James starts talking about Abraham. Okay, Abraham is the father. I mean, we're talking about the father of nations, the father of the Jews, the father of the Hebrews. Like he, everybody loves that guy. He's amazing. You know, look at the sky and all the stars and your descendants will be, you know, more numbered than, than the stars in the sky. So, so Abraham is the man. He is the father of faith, the man of covenant. Why in the world does James take Abraham and now Rahab the prostitute and brings them into the same passage of scripture? James could have used so many other Old Testament examples of faith along with Abraham. Why in the world does he pick Rahab the prostitute? And you know why? I believe it's because when God looks at you and I and her, he looks at us through a lens of grace. And acceptance and so for us, you know, we we get to we get to celebrate what Jesus did Jesus dies on the cross So that our sins could be forgiven our old life is now gone We become new because of what Jesus did and so to me I would say if you're a little bit thankful for what Jesus did Maybe Jesus gave you a second chance in life now would be a great time to show him your sir your appreciation Maybe if you want to clap or do some like yeah, like that's awesome. I'm thankful Maybe you got a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance and Jesus gave you that chance, right? And that's incredible. So we get to celebrate that. Because so if you understand the story, you know, with Rahab the prostitute, so, so James is making reference to Joshua chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with that story, I would encourage you to read it. So what happens is Israel's getting ready, or I'm sorry, the Hebrews are getting ready to invade Israel and take it over. And so what you normally do in you know, military strategy is you send a spy in or multiple spies to check out things and, and see what they have, to see their strength, their military strength, defenses, that type of stuff. So the spies go into land, and they come into this particular city, and Rahab, they, they encounter Rahab, and Rahab hides them. Because what happens is people in that city, they find out that the spies are there because they know that the Hebrews are getting ready to invade, so they're already on high alert. And then they find out that the spies made it into the wall, but Rahab hides them. And then they tell her, like, wow, thank you so much. You're protecting us. You're saving us. So when we invade, just put, that, put a scarlet cord outside of your window so that way when we invade, we won't destroy your home. We won't destroy your family. Anyone in this household will be protected. And to me, when you understand Scripture... This is exactly what happens in the Passover with the, the ten plagues. The last plague, they, they put the, the blood of the lamb over the, the, the doorpost 
And, and so the, the angel of death passes over. They tell Rahab, put the red scarlet cord outside and, and we will not destroy your, your, your home or your city. Uh, or, or, sorry, I'm sorry, your home and the people in it. And then, of course, you continue to fast forward and, and you have Jesus himself, the son of God, who lays his life down. His blood is spilled for you and I for to have the forgiveness of our sins because we needed redemption. And so James brings her into the conversation. And to me, I want to say, like, don't let anyone put labels on you to hold you down. Don't let anyone determine that you are unqualified because of your past, because of your previous title. Like your past does not have to hold you down. God can use anyone, Abraham the father of faith and Rahab the prostitute. I mean, come on. Like that, God can use anyone in any situation. And so, to me, I, this is just the human side of, of Pastor Aaron. Why can't they remove her title? Like, come on. Like, give a girl a break. Okay? Multiple times in Scripture, that's how she's labeled. She's identified. She's listed in the, the, the genealogy of Jesus. She's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, which is considered the Hall of Faith chapter. And now again in James, Rahab the prostitute. And I want to tell you something. If you need to hear this, this might be just for you. God is bigger than any label that anyone has put on you before. He's bigger than any title. He's bigger than your poor decisions from the past that you're not proud of. Any shame or guilt. You know, and so I would just say receive God's grace into your life. Let it live. Let, like, let him pour out his Holy Spirit on you and receive the grace and live out your story. You know, if that's part, that's part of her story, undeniable. So that's, that's the deal. And so you live out your story and you tell your story. Don't be afraid of telling your story. Because to me, your story is one of the most powerful ways that God will use you. Have you ever thought about that? Your story, your testimony is sometimes what we call, about it in, call it in churches. So why would our story be the, one of the most powerful things? Because it's undeniable. It's your story. When you're telling your personal story of how, how you were before, how you came to know Christ, and now how your life is different, it's undeniable. Like somebody can look at you and you go, ah, you know, I don't know. And you go, you don't have to believe me, but it's true, it's real. This is my life before. This is how I came to know Christ. And I don't have everything figured out now, but man, my life is so different now as a result. And so I have somebody that I'm going to invite to come forward. I'm going to ask Josh Sheehan to come up. And, and so Josh is going to share his story on how God used him. And so I just want you to relate. I want you to connect with him because you have a story as well. Can you guys give Josh a clap for sharing his story? Thanks. So, um, yeah, so I, I had lunch with uh, Pastor Aaron last Thursday, and I think he knows I, I hate talking in front of people, and I'm super introverted. Um, so here I stand. So let this be a lesson to all the introverts out there. Don't have lunch with Pastor Aaron. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so yeah, so, so I grew up, you know, um, I was saved pretty young. Um, I had grandparents who were um, Southern Baptists, so they were, you know, you know, they were at church every Sunday. They rarely missed a Wednesday. Um, and then, you know, I grew up in a home with parents um, who did not know Christ. Um, so I had this sort of conflicting um, 
uh, perspective, you know, throughout my childhood, and um, they continued into adulthood. And one thing you need to, need to know about me is that I'm a very um, analytical, logical person. That's why I became an engineer, um, which suits me, but um, it, it sort of uh, served as a stumbling block at times uh, in the past. But so anyway, so I have this this battle going on, and it really, like I said, it continues into adulthood. And um, you know, really, it it didn't wasn't until my wife and I moved here for the first time in 2014. Um, we got in a church, uh, and you know, I started to feel God kind of moving in me. You know, I, I didn't, um, I, I knew God, I, I, you know, but I hadn't been a regular church attender in the past. Um, so, so we're in church, and um, my parents are going through a pretty ugly divorce at the time. So at, at this point, I'm a little more receptive to, you know, to uh, um, some answers. And at the time. I was also working on my PhD and working full time, um, which was another you know strain for for Brittany and I. Um, so anyway, we we found out we were pregnant with our son, and because I was in school and and things weren't really progressing with my degree, we decided that it might be nice to move back to North Carolina where we were both from, so that we would have family support, um, so that I could finish school and um, you know then basically we would live our lives. So that kind of tells you where my head was with with things at the time. So anyway, we moved back up there. We got in. We got plugged into a church pretty quickly, which ironically was named uh, Grace Church. Um, and you know, I started serving. We both started serving. So you know, things were going you know okay. Um, things with my degree weren't quite progressing like I thought they should. Um, I, I was hitting some really weird, um, really weird roadblocks, and you know, I was starting to kind of get down and depressed, and you know, thinking, all right, you know, and, and at this point. You know, I, I'm serving God. I'm like, okay, God, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm holding up my end. Like, where are you? Like, why are you not, you know, giving me this thing that I've been working for? So, you know, there was some entitlement there, and that, like I said, just kind of shows you where, um, where I was. Um, and you know, Brittany had tried to speak, you know, some truth to me and and tell me that you know my degree had become an idol, um, but I wasn't hearing it. I was finishing this thing, you know, no matter what. Um, so. Anyway, so we, I was kind of moving down, or kind of going down a dark path. Well, Brittany, at the same time, was kind of growing closer um, to the Lord, and we were in church one day, and the service, um, our pastor was talking about, you know, the Jubilee, um, the biblical Jubilee, which essentially is a period of rest, you know, for the Israelites. So um, we left church, and Brittany looked over at me in the car, and she said, okay, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Um, she said, uh, but I feel like God spoke to me. He told me that we were going to have a daughter and that we were to name her Jubilee. And I'm like, all right, well, you're crazy, for one. Two, there ain't no way I'm naming my kid Jubilee. I mean, high school, come on. Um, and um, so I'm like, okay, you know, well, that, you know, that, that's great, you know, if it works out, because the timing was kind of right for, you know, if we were to have a kid, you know, with, you know, um, with my degree and everything. So I'm like, okay, you know, fine, sure. Um, so we did name our daughter Jubilee. Her middle name is Jubilee. Um, but so we're thinking, you know, naturally, okay, well, I'm going to finish my degree around, well, so let me back up. So we found out uh, maybe a month later, I think, that we were pregnant, and Brittany said from day one, she's like, it's a girl. I just know it, and her name's Jubilee. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, it was a girl. So anyway, so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe there's some truth to this thing. So naturally, I'm relating that to, you know, I'm going to finish school. You know, we're going to have you know, these two beautiful kids, it's going to be great. Um, but as, as time got closer for, um, for her to be born, you know, I, I was hitting every, 
roadblock imaginable and some that weren't, frankly. Um, and my degree was, was going nowhere. And I was, I was growing further and further from the Lord. I was going down a dark place. I was depressed. I was, you know, I was a, probably pretty painful to be around um, all the time. Um, so this went on for, for quite a while. Um, and, you know, I can remember, you know, I was, I was driving home from work one day. And I'll keep, you know, this is something you should know too. So Brittany had convinced me to um, sell our house um, because she was convinced we were moving to Florida and we we're moving back to Florida and um, I was going to finish and everything was going to be great. Well, I had had to move my start date with the company who had agreed to hire me back like four different times. And I'm like, Brittany, there's no way we're moving. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, it's impossible. So, you know, we're essentially homeless. We're living with her parents, which praise God for them. You know, they let us, you know, shack up with them with two kids for a while. Um, but I can remember driving home in my truck and, you know, like I said, things had been going really bad. I, my advisor, my PhD advisor was just, you know, really non-responsive. Um, and I, I just broke down. I was driving along and I, I was, I can remember the tears rolling down my face and I was basically just screaming at God and I was saying, you know, what is it that you want from me? Like, tell me what you want and I'll do it. And, um, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Um, you know, I'd always heard people who, and my wife, you know, case in point, who would say, you know, God spoke to them and I was always kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, you're weirdo. Um, <laughs> but it was as clear as if Aaron had spoken to me right here. Um, he said, you, I want you. And, um, and I said, said okay, you know, if, if that's all you want, then, you know, you can have it. Like, that's fine. I'll, you know, so at that point I said, you know, this, this degree has become an idol and I'm, I'm releasing that. So, um, if it's your will that I finish it, then great. If not, then, you know, I pray that you give me strength to be okay with that. And from that point, things started to turn around. I, I had figured something out that I had been stuck on for weeks or months. Um, but it was still, the, the progress was slow. Um, I don't know if it was just my perspective where I felt like I was moving or if I really was. But um, things started to turn around for me. Um, and Brittany, in the meantime, had kept receiving messages from God. And I was... I was starting to get a little antsy and kind of irritated. I'm like, well, you know, am I not fun to talk to? Like, why is he not talking to me? <laughs> um, so, you know, I basically I started praying, like, God, could you could you give me something? Could you could you speak to me? Um, and it had to be that next Sunday or maybe maybe two Sundays after that. We were in church and um, our pastor's wife led worship, and we're at the end of service one day, and. Um, she stopped everything, and she said, are the Sheehans here? And I'm like, oh, shoot, what have we done? And uh, she, Brittany had met with her and told her some of the things that were going on, but not everything. But anyway, she stopped service in the middle, said, you know, I, this isn't really clear to me, um, but I'm getting a message right now, and I feel like it's God. And she said, and your jubilee is coming. And um, naturally, we both just broke down. Um, and it was just, you know, I, and I think it was the next week um, I spoke to my 
PhD advisor, either through email or, or phone call, and he, um, he said, I'm leaving the university. Um, and initially, I'm like, oh, man, I, so I'm not going to finish. You know, great. He said, but um, so we need to get you graduated and, and finished up. So then about two weeks after that, um, I was working with him in the lab and the equipment. We had some weird equipment failure, and he looked at me and he said, uh, you know what? You've done enough. Let's go ahead and write it up and get you graduated. So, you know, it was from that time, I mean, it, it was like, you know, a couple weeks, and then a few months later, you know, I, I had my PhD, and I was done. Um, and then, sure enough, we moved to Florida, and, and here we are. So, you know, do, do I still have doubts? Absolutely. Do I have it all figured out? No. Um, but I have, I have that. So, um, <coughs> so, sorry. So, Friday... Uh, Brittany and I got some news that um, we weren't really prepared for. We're pregnant with our third child right now, and uh, they found some things on the ultrasound that could be problematic. So, um, you know, uh, so we're praying, but, you know, and I, I run a lot. So the, the thing that I, I hear a lot when I run, and I talk to God when I run, and I hear, do you trust me? And I look back on my Ph.D. experience, and I say, how could I not? Um, so now as we prepare to meet with um, specialists next week to find out you know, more about our son who's on the way, I look back on that and I say, and I hear God and he says, do you trust me? And I say, how could I not? So that's my story and sticking to it. Hey, Brittany, come on up. Josh, stay here. Can you come up with me, please? So what we're going to do, we're going to pray right now together. Uh, we're going to lay hands on them and believe for God to do something amazing. So church, if you have enough faith, maybe you put your hand, you know, kind of towards them. And, and so let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And Father, we just thank you so much for who you are, that you will be glorified in all things. Lord, you're amazing and powerful and strong. And so, Lord, as we declare your word and your scripture, that if we would have faith as small as a mustard seed, that you could pick up this mountain and you could move it. So, Lord, we lay hands on Josh and Brittany and the baby and, and the issues, the problems, whatever they may be, Lord, they are so insignificant to you. You're the designer, Lord. Your word declares in Psalm 119 uh, or Psalm 139 about this child and how they were formed and how they were designed. And so, Lord, we declare healing. We declare restoration. We declare that this child, this baby, this unborn infant would be made whole and complete, whatever the problem may be, that it would be gone and eradicated, Lord, that this would be another example of your power, your victory, your declaration in who you are, and that you would get glory, Lord. We declare healing and restoration. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll tell you what, uh, I do love to have lunch with people. Um, but, you know, so I just, I love people's willingness to share your story. And so maybe there's some things that you connected with in that. Maybe you have your own story. Maybe it's a little bit different. But your story is your own story. It's undeniable. And so I just want to encourage you that there's faith and deeds. There's action. And in fact, the Lord wants you and I to move and take action. And so Jesus said this powerful verse that, that we get and we understand in Matthew 5.14. And I'm going to close with this, this passage. It says that you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your, everybody say it, good deeds and glorify our heavenly father. So it's faith and deeds. It's worship and works. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that you would step out, that you would do something amazing, incredible for the Lord, and that, because he wants to use you in a powerful way. And so let's just join our hearts together, and let's go before the Lord, and let's honor him that he might use us today, this next week, and certainly in our church in this upcoming season. So God, that you would be glorified. That's our heart, Lord, that you would make us like lights, that you would make us to shine bright, that you would make us uh, to, to shine bright with your word, to shine bright with your goodness, to shine bright with action in our life. Uh, Lord, you're amazing. It's you. It's your light. It's your goodness that's inside of us, inside of our heart, that your Holy Spirit would burn, burn like fire inside of us, that, that the words that we share. Lord, I even de- declare that we would be able to, to not only share with, with actions, but share with words with other people, to share encouragement. Lord, to lay hands on the sick and to see them recover. Lord, that signs and wonders and miracles would take place. That it would be undeniable the things that you do. And God, ultimately, what we want is for you to receive the glory. That your kingdom would advance. That people would come to know you like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.